we thank you that you um, have put this word on Steve's heart. So God, we just pray that today as we um, reflect on our own brokenness um, and your forgiveness, God, that you would reveal more of your character and your love for us. Um, God, we pray that you would um, show us our own sin and um, help us to um, process it and bring it to you. Um, God, we pray for each of us that um, because of your word, um, yeah, we come away feeling lighter and um, freer and more um, able to serve you. And God, we just pray for your spirit um, to work through Steve now um, in this place. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, it's such a um, privilege to come along and chat to you guys this morning. And I w- I'd love for this to be interactive if, if you guys are willing to, to talk and to share. Um, and we're going to explore these ideas of sin and temptation and forgiveness together and to think about what would they mean and um, how we deal with them and what our life can look like as a result of who Jesus is. So I wonder if we can start with a volunteer. We've got a volunteer that is willing to come up the front. Yep. Why don't you go so if you can just start by confessing your sin to everyone. <laughs> no, it's a joke. I'm just joking. You're not, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. So I've got a piece of paper here. And I want you to keep this piece of paper unmarked and to um, stand where you are and to hit that um, filing cabinet over there. Anyone else think that they can get the filing cabinet? You reckon you can? Okay. Well, you, you could do that, but I also keep it unmarked and as it is. So, can you? Yeah. Anybody else think that they can get it? There. Got more, I've got more paper here. This piece of paper. So, anyone think that they can? Yeah, you reckon you can, you reckon you can get it? Anyone else want to have a try? Like any creative ideas to try to get a piece of paper across there? Yeah, you can have a have a crack at it. picture of what, what sin is, in a way. So this is an analogy. This isn't actually what sin is, so bear with me. 
But what, what, what the filing cabinet represents is a target that God has set for our lives to be like. And that is a target that allows us to relate to Him, and that's based on the stand of His character. It's, it's pure, it's blameless, it's holy. That's what that target represents. And the paper represents who we are and what we have in order to reach that target. And we need to reach that target pure and unmarked and blameless and undamaged. And I said you need to just try to throw it from here. And this is like a boundary that God has said. These are the the parameters that I've given you to be able to, to try to reach that target within. But we can't hit that target... Come, why, why don't you, why don't you come right in? Come right in. There's plenty of space in this room. You're right. You're right. Welcome to the best center. Yeah, right. So for for those of you who have just looked in, welcome guys. Welcome, guys. We had just done a little experiment where we, we were seeing if people can get this piece of paper and hit a target over there without marking the piece of paper, keeping it out and being undamaged from a place that I've asked them to throw it to and get it, get it to the filing cabinet. The point is that it's impossible to get it there without marking it, without doing something to it, without manipulating it in some way. And that target represents God's standard for our lives. Who it's based on who He is. And what the paper represents is who we are. And the boundary is where we've been given to, to, to get it there from. And so we can't hit that target. We've, we've got one of three broad responses to, to trying to, to doing this in our lives. First of all, we try to reach God's target within this boundary that I've set, and we fail. We fall short. We fall short. We miss the mark. And this is, this is described in the Bible as sin because we failed to reach God's moral standard. And it's something that we do. We miss the mark. A second thing that we might do is that we create our own rules. So someone put it in a... In a um, book and through it. Created the own rule around how to get to God's standard. Someone else thought, well, what if I made a paper aeroplane and threw it, paper aeroplane? Well, that's creating our own rule. Someone might have thought, oh, well, I'll scrunch it up and I'll throw it in as a ball and hit it. But it's created our own rule. Gotcha. <laughs> create our own rule of how we're going to reach God's standard. And this is sin because it's ignoring God's standard. And it's making our own rules about how we should get there. In the Bible, this is described by a word, you might have seen it, called transgression. We've crossed a boundary line for what God has said is the way to get to who He is, be like who He is. The third response might be that we go, that's ridiculous. We can't do that. And so we turn away from that and we go, well, I just want to do things my own way. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't care about God's standard. I don't care about who He, how He says I should live. I just want to create my own rule, and I'll create my own standard. And so, with my piece of paper, actually, my target isn't isn't God. My target's just there, and I can do that. 
And that is described in the Bible as sin because it's turning away from God's target. It's turning away from God's standard for us. And we create our own. Romans 3, chapter 23. Welcome, guys. Come in. Romans 3, chapter 23 says, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all tried to reach it. We've all turned away from it and we failed. We couldn't get there. And all three of these responses that we've just looked at are sin because they fall short of God's standard in one way or another, through selfishness, through pride. And the primary way that they fall short of God's standard is because they don't believe God about who He says He is. This is what I think the root of sin is. Not believing who God says He is. If you, I don't know if you guys know the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But what happens in that, in that story is that God makes the world good and he says to Adam and Eve, these two people he's created, you can, do, you can do whatever you want here, but you can't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And this serpent comes into the garden and he comes to, to Eve and he says to her, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Come in, guys. Keep, keep packing it in. Yeah. I reckon we can get at least another 70 people in this room. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get a video when everyone leaves. <laughs> <laughs> so God has, God has set this, this, this rule. Don't eat from the, the one tree in the middle of the garden. And Satan, the, the serpent, comes and said, Did God say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Did he really say that? You see, what Satan, what the serpent has done there is he has set up God as opposed to human good. He set up God as this person who isn't interested in the good of people. He said, you can't eat from any tree. And Eve picks him up and says, well, no, he didn't say that. He said, we can't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And she says, God said, even if we touch it, we'll die. And the serpent picks up on Eve's unsureness because God didn't say anything about not touching the tree. And he says, well, you know why God said don't, don't touch the tree or don't eat from the tree? It's because he knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll know good from evil and you'll become like him. And he doesn't want that because then you'll be too powerful. What Satan does here is he says that God is, in, God is not interested in our good. God is afraid of us becoming too powerful. And so he paints a picture of a God who's withholding from us. And this is the root of all sin, I, I believe. That it's a picture of a God who withholds from people and isn't interested in our good. And so we question, is God really good? And that's sin. So let's think practically how that works out. What is sin? How do we know if things are sin or aren't sin? What's the definition of, of sin? So I, I, think, I think that sin is basically the spoiling of a relationship between us and God and between us and other people. So if a relationship becomes broken between me and God or between me and other people... That's how we work out if something is sin or not. So let's, 
let's think of some examples. Maybe, I don't know, you might have some questions. I, I don't know if this is sin. Do you have some ideas of wondering if something is sin or not? Does my question make sense? Okay, let's start with something like swearing. Is swearing a sin? Okay, well, how, do, how, how am I saying we work this out? Does it affect my relationship with God and make a break there? And does it affect my relationship with other people and make a break there? What do people think? Yes? What, can, can we talk about why? Like why? How, how it does? Okay. From something that God has said has a boundary marker. No unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. Great. Why else might swearing be said to be a sin? Yeah. Um, I feel like if it's used against someone or against God, it's a sin. But I feel like if something just just happens and you're not aiming it at anyone, I, I feel like it might not be. Right. Yep. Perhaps, but then we go back to what God has said in terms of unwholesome talk. And so you go, okay, well, how is me just saying something that maybe seems unwholesome helpful to other people? And so you need to think about, is my language offending anyone around me? Is anyone offended by my language? Well, maybe that's not helpful for my relationship with them. And so is that sinful? Yeah, well, it's... I'd say we probably classified as a sin. Okay, and, and some other ideas, but yeah, sorry. What if you think it? If you think a think a oh beep, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a good question. Um, what do people think? That's a brilliant thought. I'm going to get so, to that. It's a brilliant thought. What about substituting words? Instead of saying a swear word, like the same word that starts with the same letter, like the motive is still there to swear, mm. but you just substitute it with another word. Mm. Where does that kind of sit? You've, you've brought up a very interesting word, motive. And so this is where sin gets really interesting because we've already talked about sins as something we do and something we can't do, reaching God's moral standard. But sin is also a state of being. So motive is something within us 
that is broken, basically, because of our attitude toward God's standard. So two of those things I talked about at the beginning, trying to reach God's moral standard, the things that we do. And one of them was the turning away from God's standard. That's the state of being that we're in. And so our motive, in most of things in life, you'll find that, well, I think probably in everything in life, you'll find that your motive is, even if you think you're doing it for good, it's mixed because of our nature, because of something that we've inherited, because of our sinful nature, it's mixed. And it's mixed maybe with a good desire, but it's also mixed with a, a selfish desire or a proud desire. Selfishness and pride lie at the bottom of almost everything that we are part of and we do. And so, in almost everything, there is a sinful motive and, and desire because of our nature. That's a, and because of our... Um, posture toward God. So, whenever we're talking about any of those things, it's like there's actions of sin, and then there's a underlying nature, heredity of sin. It's a it's a complex thing, but it's a it's a brilliant thing for us to be thinking about. Okay, where's my motive line? This people understand what I'm, I'm saying when I'm saying motive. So that what's what's driving our action. Okay, have we got any, any other examples of okay, asking, is this a sin or isn't this a sin? Sleeping with boyfriend or girlfriend, is it a sin? If, it, if you think it is, I want to know why. Yeah? against God because it's something that he has said and it's a sin against another person because you're taking something that isn't yours to take when you're married to someone you're given to each other and you belong to each other in a way and by sleeping with someone before that you're taking something that's not yours to take so it's a breaking of relationship there what about drinking if I'm not 18 yes Brilliant, because God says to obey the law, and the law in Australia is you have to be 18 in order to drink. Any other question? You might be going, I don't know if this is a sin or not. This is a time for us to explore and to think. So, Okay. Are we comfy with that, understanding a bit of sin? We're probably not comfy with it because it's, it's not a comfortable topic. <laughs> but let's move on to temptation. How does temptation work with sin? I guess the first question is, is temptation wrong? Temptation sinful. Are you committing a sin if you're being tempted? No. You're not. But the, 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 the interesting thing is, isn't it, that so often we feel like we are sinning when we're being tempted. 
And we feel condemned and we feel ashamed of temptation as if it's something that we were doing to ourselves, don't we? Have you, have you had that experience where you're feeling tempted by something and then you, you know, you're ashamed? You feel, oh, I'm, I'm wrong, I'm, I'm in the wrong place here, I'm sinning. And in a way that it is because it shows what our heart desires. It shows that our hearts desire something that isn't good. But temptation comes from outside of us and it's, it's, it's not a sin. Temptation itself is not sin. It might reveal sin within us, but it's not sin itself. Eve was tempted by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. She was not sinning when she was tempted. The issue is what she did with that temptation. And we, uh, you already mentioned that Jesus himself was tempted. So he was baptized and he went out into the wilderness in Luke 4 and while he was there, he was tempted by the devil. And the thing difference between Eve and Jesus is that Jesus stood against that temptation. He didn't sin in the temptation. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teach us, teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. It's a prayer that we speak to God, asking Him to keep us from situations where temptation can get the better of us. James 1.13 gives us a very clear answer on this. It says, Let no one when he is tempted say, I'm being tempted by God. Temptation doesn't originate from God, but from our own flaws. For God cannot be tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. Temptation's not sinful, and it's not from God. So this is a key of what to remember with temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to people. You haven't faced temptation that other people aren't facing as well, in other words. And God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. So two things that are key to remember in temptation. Temptation is not a sin. So if you're feeling condemned and you're feeling ashamed, you're feeling guilty when you're tempted, then you just go, that's, that's ridiculous, I'm being tempted here. You know what those guilt feelings are coming from? It's coming from Satan. It's coming from someone who's not not for you, not interested in your good. And the second thing with temptation is there is always a window of escape. Every single time you are able to escape. And the sooner that you're able to realize that you're being tempted, the sooner you're able to see that, and soon you're able to run for that window that you've seen that there is a window for escape, soon you're able to run for the window, then the more chance you have of escaping its grip. It's like in, in the movies, you know, those creeping vines that, that get the, 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 try to get the hero, and they, there's a creeping vine that comes and grabs onto the leg, and the superhero, ha- the hero has to try to 
cut the vines to, to escape. Well, this is what temptation's like. The sooner you can see that vine creeping towards you to, to grab onto you, then the sooner you can get out of its way. If you stand there and go, oh, I see the temptation coming toward me and I'm going to fight it off. If you stand there, then it'll grab you by the foot and you'll cut it. But what happens in the movies with those vines is they got arms that come from everywhere and they just keep coming and soon you can't actually hit all the vines and cut them all and it grabs you. And so the only way with temptation is to run for the window. Don't try to stand there and go, I can, I can face this temptation, I, I know what to do here. If you know what to do, then you're running for the window because that's the thing that you need to do. The sooner you can see it coming for you, the sooner you can get out of there. So how do I, how do I avoid and how do I escape temptation and how do I run for that window? Here's a, here's a few keys. Learn to notice your patterns of thought. So learn to know what happens in your own mind in certain situations. And so maybe that, that swearing in your head is a good example of this. If you're swearing in your head, then that's a, a, and you, you can notice that, then that is a, a temptation to maybe just go off the handle, for that to come out of your mouth. As soon as you realise, hey, what's happening in my head here? I need to, I need to get out of here. It'll work out a, a way to, to work through this. So first is to notice the patterns of thought and be slower to speak. So notice what you're thinking, be slower to say stuff. Second thing to do is to know particular scenarios in which you are most tempted. So we're all built differently and there are different things that different people will be tempted by. And so know what those things and own those things that tempt you. There's nothing to be ashamed about. Remember, it's temptation. But there are particular things that you will find more tempting. And some other people won't find those things tempting at all. And some, of those, some other people will find different, completely different things tempting. But it's still common to everyone. Everyone is still on a spectrum and they're all, they're all tempted. And there will be other people who are tempted by the same thing as you're tempted by. And so it's knowing the, the particular scenarios in which you're tempted and working out ways to limit those temptations. I don't know, maybe your temptation is to overeat. And so it's thinking of scenarios in which that happens for you. Maybe it's when you're really tired. Maybe it's when you're stressed. Maybe your, your temptation is to look at stuff on the computer you shouldn't be looking at. And so it's, maybe it's going, okay, and maybe, that's, maybe that's late at night. And so you go, okay, no computers in my bedroom. My, my phone doesn't come in, in with me. It's working out scenarios that can help to limit temptation. And the third, the third thing I think is a key to avoiding escaping temptation is to talk about it. Yeah, we want to talk about it to God and say, God, I'm feeling really tempted here, but talk about it with people. Since I was a teenager, I've been in a prayer triplet. And... A prayer triplet is an amazing place where you can be intimate with people and tell people what you're struggling with and pray with, it, with them through it. 
I'm, I find this really hard. And sometimes the other people will, sometimes they won't, but they're, they're for you, they're backing you, they want to work with you through it, and maybe they can help you come up with some strategies to work against the temptation. Talk to some friends if you have them, talk to a mentor if you have a mentor, talk to your pastor about it. The pa- like pastors understand this stuff, they've been tempted too. They're dealing with it themselves. And they can help us with strategies. So know your patterns of thought. Know particular scenarios in which you're tempted. And talk about it. Is that helpful? Yeah. Is this... Okay. Any questions on temptation? Anything I didn't cover in what you were asking before? Any thoughts? Anyone have any other thoughts away from that? We're about to get to the good bit. Okay. Forgiveness. How does this all fit in? So God sees our situation. He knows our situation. And because He is good, contrary to what Satan has taught us, Told us and teaches us because he is good and because he does have our best at heart Jesus comes us comes to us to save us from sin he saves us both from sinful acts and a sinful state of being Romans 3.23 which we read before says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in the next verse, verse 24, all, of us, all, all are justified, that is, we're made right, right standing by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Jesus sees us and he knows that we can't reach the target and the reason is because our equipment is faulty. What we, what we have doesn't reach it. And the reason why it doesn't reach is because we traded the truth of who God is for a lie when we believe that God isn't good and God isn't interested in our good. And we'd be happier and we'd be freer if we were disobedient to God. And so what, what happens in, in, for, for us is that we define freedom in a different way that God defines it. We define freedom as being able to do whatever I want to do. Doesn't our society define freedom like that? Freedom means I can do whatever I want to do. And God says, no, freedom isn't being able to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is being able to do whatever is best to do. And the problem is, because of sin, we're not able to do that. Even if we wanted to do the things that were best, we're not able to, and God sees that. And so he comes, and Jesus comes, and... He remedies the situation. And this is how he remedies it. Jesus comes and he says, I'm the sticky tape. Look it up in John 15, chapter, oh, verse 39. I'm the sticky tape. He doesn't actually say that. <laughs> But then he does for us what we weren't able to do 
and oh, I can't even do it still. There's meant to hit the target. He he reaches the target when we couldn't do it. He changes everything. And this is the gospel. This is grace. This is what Jesus has come and done for us, done what we couldn't do for ourselves. He's reached God's standard. When Adam and Eve were tempted, they fall into sin. They miss God's mark. They miss God's best. When Jesus is tempted, he stands because he knows and he trusts in God's goodness. He knows who God is. Jesus lives a life according to God's standard. And then he dies a death of a sinful person even though he wasn't under sin's power. And because he dies a death of a sinful person, he breaks the power of sin. And he breaks the power of sin over us as we turn to him. So receiving forgiveness is simply turning to Jesus and saying, I can't do this. I can't actually reach God's standard. I've tried on my own and I've failed. I've created my own standard. I've been living by that, which has made things worse. But I know that you have reached God's standard for me. In John 1, 1 John, sorry, 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. It says, if we confess our sin, then he is faithful and he's just and he forgives our sins and he purifies us from all unrighteousness. That is, if we admit that we can't do it on our own, but we realize that he can and we turn to him, then we're forgiven. Isn't that a freeing thought? So how often do we do we turn to Jesus for this forgiveness? What do you think? How often should we turn to Jesus for forgiveness? Is it something that we we do when we become a Christian? Is that is that it? How often do I do I turn to Jesus for forgiveness? Whatever we whatever we sin, it'd be it'd be good if we did it whenever we sin. I think the reality is is that we sin without even realizing it. And so, I think probably a more accurate answer is we turn to Jesus for forgiveness whenever we we realize, whenever we become aware of our brokenness of sin in our life, we turn to Him, which is pretty often. And the purpose of it isn't to condemn us, it's to free us so that we can live the best life. And this, this is a key as well, is that receiving forgiveness shouldn't, shouldn't make us feel bad. And I don't know if, if you, kind of when you come and ask forgiveness or you've been in a church and there's been confession, that you're actually feeling really bad. I don't know if you've noticed how you're feeling in those situations. But it shouldn't be making you feel bad. It should bring freedom. If it's not bringing freedom, then there is some problem. There's some barrier. And probably a help in this situation is for you to speak some words of truth. And so here's 
three ways that you might feel bad when you ask for forgiveness. You might feel condemned. You might recognize some sin in your life, some brokenness, something that doesn't reach God's standard, and you ask God for forgiveness and you still feel condemned. You still feel like you're, you're, not, you're not right. Well, here's a verse for you to learn if that's you. Romans 8, verse 1 to 2. And I would suggest, like, talking really practically, learn these verses off by heart. So that if you, if you notice you're feeling condemned, I'm feeling judged here, I'm feeling in a really bad place still, and I've just asked God for forgiveness, and I know it should be freedom, then learn this verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. A second response might be that when you ask God for forgiveness, there's a, there's a fear that comes upon you. And you feel afraid. I don't know if I can accept his forgiveness. I don't know. I don't, I don't, know. I, I don't, I don't know what my future holds. I don't, am I going to always be in this place? And there's a fear that grips you. If you feel afraid, you're asking God for forgiveness, then there's something wrong and maybe you need to speak out some truth. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 might be a verse that you want to memorize. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. And this reminds you that that, that fear isn't from God. It's something that comes from Satan or comes from within yourself. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. He doesn't give a spirit of fear. If you're feeling fear, then it's not from God. But he gives a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. So if you are feeling afraid, then you can go, well, this isn't from God. This is, this is Satan trying to trick me. This is Satan trying to tell me that God's not good. I'm not going to believe that. God has not given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And thirdly, you might not feel worthy. So you might ask for God for forgiveness and you go, I can't, I, I can't, I'm too, I've, I've made too many mistakes. I can't accept God's forgiveness. You, like, pe- people don't realise what I've done. I haven't confessed it all to everyone and God can't forgive me for that. Well, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin. He who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. What that's saying is in Jesus, who became sin for us, we become right with God. We're put in right standing with him. It's something that Jesus has done for us. A, um, a preacher named Joseph Prince uses this verse, and it's been something that I, I found really helpful. And he says that if you, are find, if you find yourself in a situation where you are in sin, you might be in the middle of an act of sin, or you might be feeling in a state of sin. He says... You make this declaration. Say, I am the righteousness 
of God in Christ. Explain what that means. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It means that because of Jesus, I am always in right standing with God when I turn to Jesus. Always. Whether I'm sinning or whether I'm not sinning. There's no way to get me out of this right standing with God because I'm believing that Jesus has covered my sin. He's taken my sin for him. So whenever I'm doing anything, whether it's sinful or it's not sinful, then I'm free. And so if you're in the middle of sin and you're feeling like, ah, I feel awful, say these words, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm in right standing with God because of Jesus. How are people feeling? Are you feeling sleepy? Because it's pretty hot in here, isn't it? Is this helpful? Is this making sense? Is this bringing freedom? Are people feeling heavy still? Unsure? Feeling condemned? Do we need to declare some scripture? Some truth? We definitely want to have time to pray. That's what we're all about. Well, why don't we do that now? The key thing is, I want to remember that Jesus is the sticky tape. He, he's the one that's reached God's standard. And because of that, we're free when we turn to Him. You're forgiven. If you've turned to Jesus, if you've given your life to Him, then you stand forgiven. Sin doesn't have a hold on you. So maybe we'll, um, I don't know, we're, gonna, we're pretty packed in here. Do you want to do triplets? Yeah, that's a great idea. I love it. So... Why don't you find someone around you and then find another person and get together. And in this time, I'm not, I'm not asking you to confess your sin to people. If you know these people well, then you might want to. But what we want to do here is we want to speak God's freedom over people. Yeah, brilliant.